Our passage today is going to be um, in the New Testament. It's in the form of a letter that the Apostle Paul, that Dr. Joe just talked about, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and we'll find out more about the relationship as we talk a little bit this morning. Um, Paul was an apostle. He was a missionary, but at the time he writes this letter, he was actually a prisoner. He was in jail at the time that he writes this letter, and he writes this letter to somebody that he calls his spiritual son. Now, to the best that we know, there's different theories, but we don't have any indication that says that Paul was married or that he had children of his own. The best The Bible's kind of silent on that, but we don't have any indication that he actually did. So it's interesting that even though he didn't have kids of his own, he took being a parent very seriously because he recognized that you can have children of your own that are young in chronological age, but you also have people in your life you can influence that are young of a spiritual age. And so he took that role very seriously in this unique relationship he had with Timothy, who at the time Timothy gets this letter, he is an unusually young pastor. He's pastor of the Ephesus church, and uh, he needed regular doses of encouragement because um, pastoring has always been kind of a complex vocation, and it was especially difficult for Timothy because he was younger than most of the people he tried to lead. I don't know if you've ever been assigned to be in charge of people who are younger than you. Some people go along with it, but a lot of people have a hard time with that. And so Paul regularly encouraged Timothy. So in this letter, this little passage that we're going to read together this morning is part of how Paul was encouraging Timothy to deal with a lot of the difficulties he was facing, especially uh, a lot of false teaching that was coming up from people within the church and people outside the church that people were getting all carried away with. Um, And so here's how Paul encourages Timothy. Let's read this out loud together. I will lead us of course, um, but let's read together beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll begin at verse 12. Let's read out loud together. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become conceived, convinced of, Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and may God add his blessing and insight to the reading of his word this morning. I'm not sure which of the pastors gets this next, but this is going to fall right off the, the podium, so I'll hand this off to you so we can be good stewards of our budget and not have to buy another one of those. Um, ever since I was in elementary school, we're going to go way back to when pictures were in black and white, way back since I was in elementary school, I've struggled with being uh, overweight, um, About 12 years ago, uh, my doctor finally leveled with me. This is when I was living in Georgia. He leveled with me, and he says, "Um, Phil, you're going to have to finally buckle down. You're going to have to make some major changes, and you are going to have to lose some weight, or you're going to die. And so that really, when he's, you know, when you go to see your doctor, and he kind of says, or you're going to die, you listen up. And um, as embarrassed as I was to hear it, I agreed. I agreed that I was... I'm significantly overweight. Um, I had made tons of excuses in my life as to why I was. I blamed it on, you know, the way I was raised. I blamed it on what we ate growing up. I blamed it on 
you know, it was hereditary. I, I came up with all kinds of different ways. I said I didn't have time. I didn't have the money to eat right. I could, you know, all those different things. And the doctor ran a ton of tests. And the conclusion he came to was that my, in my particular case, being overweight had nothing to do with bad genes. It had to do with bad habits. And so he had a very strict talking to uh, with me and my assigned treatment plan that he gave me was very simple. Diet and exercise. Two things I didn't care much for um, at that point in my life. And I still remember today uh, the crash course that he gave me in nutrition right there in his office. And I remember him getting out a dry erase marker. He had a little dry erase board in the doctor's office there. And he started, he said, I know, Phil, I know you're a numbers guy. So let me break this down to you uh, with numbers. And he started writing some, some numbers on the board. And he gave me a, a real crash course. He said, in order to be healthy, you have to have a proper balance between calories going in and calories going out. He said, being healthy means this, that you are at a healthy weight that you maintain by having an equal amount of calories going in to calories going out. He said, if you have more calories coming in than you have going out, you will gain weight. If you have more calories going out then you have calories going in, you will lose weight. And the goal at your point is because your weight is too high. He said you need to lose about 70 to 100 pounds at that point. He said because your weight is too high for a while, we're going to have to help you lower your intake of calories and raise the outflow of calories until you get to a healthy weight, but we don't want you to get too skinny and die that way. So at that point, we'll balance things out. Calories in have to equal calories out. And he started writing down some numbers on the board. He, he wrote down the number 12. This is interesting stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, um, you burn, your body is very efficient. God designed your body to burn 12 calories for every pound you weigh in the course of a day. So you take your body weight as it is now, you multiply it by 12, and that's how many calories you burn <coughs> in a day. He said, our bodies are so efficient that if you were a car, you would go 300 miles to the gallon. That's how efficient God made our bodies. Then he wrote the number 3,500 on the board. He said, your body is also so efficient that if you take in too many calories, it stores it. Every 3,500 calories that comes in that doesn't go out gets stored as one pound of fat. So if you're taking in 3,500 calories more than you're burning out, it's storing it in the form of fat. He said, and it takes 3,500 extra calories to burn off to burn one calorie of fat. Now, this is in a normal functioning human being. There's all kinds of metabolic processes or struggles that people have or different body inflictions that influence your metabolism one way or another. I'm not a nutritionist. This was just the crash course. So he said to me, so for you to lose this much weight, we've got to lower your calorie intake or we have to boost your calorie outflow or in your case, we need to do both in order that we can get you to the point where every week you're burning about 7,000 calories more than what you're taking in so that every week you're burning two pounds of fat so that over six or eight or nine months we can get you back to a healthy weight and then we can adjust that so that your weight maintains. Now, fortunately, when I got on this plan, after about a year, I did lose, I did lose the 70 pounds that I needed to lose, but it was not easy because then he started talking to me about nutrition because I'm thinking, cool, so if I need 2,000 calories a day, a quarter pounder has like 550 calories, I could eat like three and a half of those and I'm good. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, when do you eat? I was like, well, pretty much all the time. When I'm bored, when I'm watching TV, when I'm awake, you know, when I'm hungry, when I'm not hungry, I eat, I eat whenever I feel hungry. 
And he said, well, the problem is your body only knows one way to tell you that it's not getting what it needs, and it's hunger. He says, your body needs certain nutrients. And if you only eat quarter pounders, your body's not going to get some of the minerals that it needs. And every time you eat two quarter pounders, you might be full for about an hour, but then your body's going to tell you you're hungry again because it's looking for the nutrients you didn't give it. And the only way it needs to tell you is that you're hungry. He said, that's why you can go to the buffet and eat five plates and be hungry two hours later, right? So he said, you know, you're going to have to make some substitutes in your diet. And he started talking to me about things I needed to eat like salad. And I was like, salad's good, you know, ranch dressing. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, vegetables. And I'm like, well, I live in the South. And all the people in the South say they eat vegetables. But you know how they make vegetables down South? They take green beans and they start out as green beans, and then they put butter and bacon and fat, and they cook all the nutrients out of it till it gets really good. He said, no, 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 no. He's like, the problem is people take healthy food that they don't like the way it tastes, and so they doctor it up with all kinds of unhealthy food to make the healthy food go down. It's like a placebo to make you convinced that you're eating healthy food when you're really not. And so he said, no, you're going to have to cut out, you know, for a while I had to cut out, you know, red meats, and I had to cut out you know, snacking between snacks, and I had to cut out, you know, third lunch, and I had to cut out all these other things. I had to replace it with things like kale. I mean, I mean God made it, but <coughs> salads, plain yogurt, all these different things. And I did not crave these things at all. And I kept saying, doctor, is there anything, like, I don't like vegetables. Is there anything I can substitute? He's like, well, you can substitute an extra fruit for a vegetable. I was like, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe Doritos. Or, and in certain places, there were certain foods that I didn't care for. He's like, well, if you don't like kale, start with iceberg, you know, not iceberg lettuce. Start with romaine lettuce. Start with spinach. Start with some of these other greens that have more nutrients in it. And he started talking about nutrition. This is not a message about nutrition, but there is a parallel hill here because the thing is God designed our body to function a certain way, and we're just discovering how he designed it. God designed our body to need certain nutrients. God designed our body to be healthy when calories in match calories out. And the problem was, there are certain things that were assigned in my new diet that I did not want to eat in order to be healthy. And maybe I could not eat an entire bowl of kale, but I still had to have some. And maybe I didn't want to eat green vegetables for my only meal the entire course of the day, but I still had to get some somehow. Even though I didn't crave them at first, after about two months, my hunger craving started to change. And where I used to crave something quick like a chalupa or something close to where my office was at the time, I started, when I'd get hungry, I would start to imagine a salad or I would start to imagine yogurt and almonds or I would start to imagine something different and my cravings actually changed. But I had to starve out all the old and I had to introduce some new things into my diet in order for my cravings to change. It started with discipline. It started with me just recognizing, like, I am not going to get healthy unless I start having some of this on my plate. Over time, my cravings changed so that I not only did it because I had to, I did it because I wanted to. You know, there's a lot of application to the way God designed you to be physically healthy and the way God designed us to be spiritually healthy. I want you to understand that we are all about being and making disciples here at Echo. I want you to be a healthy follower of Jesus. I want you to be able to look into my eyes at some point and say, Pastor, I can tell you without any hesitation at all that at this moment in my life, I'm walking closer to Jesus. My spiritual life is healthier than I've ever been before. 
That's what I want you to be able to say. But to do that, we're going to have to get healthy. And there are certain things in the meal plan of a healthy disciple that we have got to take in. There is no health without taking it in. And we've named some of those things. We've taught on some of those things. You cannot be a healthy disciple without prayer. You cannot be a healthy disciple without Bible study, without reading your Bible. You cannot be a healthy disciple without forgiveness, without confessing of our sins, without giving, without serving, without worshiping, without sharing our faith. And there's like eight or nine different, the Bible gives us eight or nine different non-negotiable ingredients that have to be in the healthy diet of a disciple. And here's the truth of the matter. You and I don't all like those ingredients equally. If you and I went to that buffet of the healthy discipleship food buffet our plates would look very different when we sat down some of you would fill it up with all with one ingredient that's your favorite you love to worship you love to worship the first note hits hands are in the air tears streaming down your faith you get after it and worship never crack your bible don't share your faith you don't give but you love to worship I want to tell you something. We might divide that plate up differently. But you have to have some of all of those things on your plate if you're going to be a healthy disciple. There are no dietary substitutions for the basic diet of a disciple. And I want you to understand that I realize reading and studying your Bible is the favorite ingredient for some of us. And I dare say that in the room, reading your Bible and studying your Bible is the least favorite ingredient for others of us. You may say, I tried it before, but I just couldn't get into it. I tried it, but I can't get anything out of it. Or you might say, you know, um, I'm going to do a substitute. I don't read my Bible, but I do sit through church 45 minutes, you know, every, an hour and a half every Sunday morning. Well, sitting through church, even just that phrase, is not the same, and it's not a substitute for being able to dig in yourself. Having someone cook everything up and mash it down into baby food and speed it to, feed it to you one spoon at a time is great for little kids. But it's embarrassing when you're a 40-year-old adult. At some point, you need, how to go, you need to learn how to go in the pantry, and even if it's only one dish, even if it's only one book of the Bible, even if it's only one place you can go, you can at least get out and serve for yourself, or you will not be healthy as a disciple. You won't get there. So what I want to share with you in this series is that reading your Bible, studying your Bible is so important. Here's the big idea. Really, it's kind of, it could work as our big idea for, for this entire series, but we'll just use it this morning. The big idea is that there exists absolutely no dietary substitute for Bible study in the meal plan of a healthy disciple. And I wanted to take a lot of time to get to that point this morning. I want you to keep that image in your mind is that if you had to somehow represent your spiritual life on a plate right now, and there's all those different ingredients, worship, giving, serving, sharing your faith, confessing your sins, reading, studying the Bible, prayer, worship, what would your plate look like? The truth is most of us had a full plate before we even got serious about our spiritual life. We filled it with all kinds of other things, work, hobbies, uh, life, relationships, family, And what we're trying to do in our life is to move enough of those other non-essential ingredients around to squeeze some of God on the plate. And that's why a lot of us struggle. Pastor, I can't serve right now because of this. Or Pastor, I can't give right now because... And there's legitimate reasons for all of those things. 
But here's the way that God wants us to come to him. We turn that plate upside down. We dump all that food off, and then we start with an empty plate, and we say, God, you put on here what I need first, and I'll fit everything else around it. That's the way that lordship works. It doesn't mean that when you throw your marriage off the plate that it doesn't go back on there. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where you go through seasons in life where you can't, you can't do a whole lot of serving. We understand that. But friend, if you, if you pray, you can serve. Because if, if even if your body decays and you can't do a lot physically, even if God gets after your voice or the enemy gets after your voice, you can still pray. You know, prayer is as much of a ministry and a service when you're praying for other people's needs. That's a huge, huge ministry that you can have. But we'll talk more about that in a few months. Today, we really want to zero in on, on Bible study. And I want to make a difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. Okay, one of the guys that I turn to a lot, uh, he's an author in terms of learning how to disciple people is a man named Leroy Imes. And one of my favorite books that he wrote um, is, is called The Lost Art of Disciple Making. And in the book, he says, there are four questions I ask anybody who comes to me and says, Pastor Leroy, I am stuck spiritually or I'm not growing spiritually. He says, well, I can diagnose it in four steps in four questions. He said, if you're unhealthy spiritually, it's going to show up in one of the, your answer to one of these four questions. If you're healthy spiritually, it'll show up in one of the answer to one of these four questions. Here's the four. Do you read your Bible? Do you study it? Notice those are two different questions. Do you memorize Scripture? And do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Do you study it? Do you memorize it? Do you pray? He said, if you're unhealthy spiritually, it's going to show up there. If you're stuck spiritually, it's going to show up there. But if you're healthy spiritually, it's also going to show up there. I want you to understand that there is a difference between reading your Bible, studying your Bible, and memorizing it. We'll leave memorizing alone because I don't want to go way too, I don't want to intimidate you way out of, out of even jumping into this. Reading your Bible is kind of what some of us call devotions. That's when you and I go to the Bible or a short couple of verses and we're asking one question. What does it mean to me? application. I need an answer today, and I hope that my daily devotion that is sent to me has that answer in it. What does it mean to me? When you read the Bible, you're scanning through it immediately thinking, well, this doesn't seem to speak to me. This doesn't seem to speak to me, or some part does. There's nothing wrong with reading your Bible, and there's nothing wrong with taking application from it. But that's a different process or motive from studying your Bible. When you study your Bible, you're asking a different question. You're just asking this, what does it mean? Do you hear the difference? Reading your Bible is, what does it mean to me? Studying your Bible starts with, what does it mean? And a great way to really deepen your Bible study, I would say most of us that read our Bible regularly are probably more on the application side of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a healthy thing to do. But if you really want to go a little bit deeper, start by asking this question when you're reading your Bible. What does it mean? Because sometimes if you skip that step, what you think it means to you might be wrong. Okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean to me? So today I really want to give you just, I want to give you from this passage we studied, I want to give you three reasons. There's many, many, many reasons. I want to give you three reasons why you should take us up on this challenge to really dig into reading and studying your Bible. From this passage, the Bible probably gives 13, 14, 15, tons of different reasons. I'm going to give you three from this passage. Here's one. And it might not be one that you were expecting, but here's one that is very clear in this passage. We read the Bible because, number one, studying the Bible prepares disciples to teach teach Scripture to our young. Now, don't click out on me if you do not have young. 
okay? Because the person writing this letter, for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, never had kids of his own. But he understood, the Jewish people really understood that God has an assignment for every follower of his. And that is that part of what we're supposed to do is model and teach the Bible and the truth of the Bible to the next generation. God help us if we skip out on that assignment. We are supposed to be studying the Bible so that we're able to teach the scripture to our young. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now Paul's referring to the scripture teaching that Timothy received from his grandmother, whose name was Lois, and his mother, whose name was Eunice. We learned that in chapter 1. It was the custom to teach Jewish children the Old Testament at an early age and to cause them to commit parts of it to their memory. <coughs> that was Timothy's heritage. I want you to understand Timothy from as young as, as he, from his earliest memories, his grandmother and his mother were intentionally teaching him the scripture. And they taught it to him so frequently that he actually committed part of it to his memory. Understand, they did not have the luxury that you have this morning of having a full copy of the Bible in their home. They would have heard it from somebody. They would have heard it written. This was not in the publication age where we were publishing lots of volumes of things. It was rare to have books. They would have heard the Scripture enough that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa would have had the Scripture so ingrained in their life that it was committed to memory, and it was a regular part of the conversation with their kids. You can go the whole way back to Deuteronomy. And you can listen to some of the first things the Bible says to parents. And it says, teach the scripture to your children. Talk to them about it when they get up. Talk to them about it when they go to sleep. Write it on your doorposts. And then they say these weird things like, you know, you know, write it on their, you know, wear it around your neck and write it on your forehead and all these kinds of crazy things. Which it's not all meaning literal. There's a reason for all of it. We have to talk about what it means, not what it means to me. So please do not take a sharpie and go write on all the kids your favorite Bible verse after church this morning. But the sound teaching that Timothy received from his grandmother and his mother made him wise and prepared him to be saved. It taught him discipline and it pointed him to the Messiah. It is never too early to begin infusing the minds of our children with Scripture. Children are extremely, extremely impressionable. They quickly form their identity and they're able to grab hold of knowledge at extremely young ages. And you guess where they will turn to? Most of these kids, especially if they're like younger than five, they're not old enough to be skeptics yet. They take everything at face value. This has been a sobering reality for me as a parent. You know where my son turns to for the most reliable source of his information? His mommy and me. Give me well, and sometimes YouTube. I'll give you an example of that. Um, the other night, <coughs> he was watching a, you know, there's certain channels on YouTube we let him watch every now and again that, that educate and ones that he's fascinated about history. So he was watching it. I was kind of listening um, you know, because he's not allowed to watch it without mommy or I around, so we can screen, screen things for him. So he was watching it the other night while I was doing some work on something, and I was listening to what was going on, and didn't think too much about it. He was really into it. Well, the next day I come home from work, and Kendra says to me, she's like, you know, your son and I got in a little bit of an argument today. I was like, oh boy, you know, why, how about welcome home? You know, but no, it was like, you know, we got in an argument today, we, and I need some backup. So she's like, well, he got a $5 bill in the mail today from his grandma. I said, oh, awesome. She said, yeah, and he noticed there was a face of a president on the bill. He was like, Mommy, which president is this? And she said, uh, well, that's Abraham Lincoln. He said, oh, is that president number 16 or president number 3? And she's like, so I Googled it. 
She's like, uh, I think he's president number 16. He said, oh, that's right, because president number three is the one who invented macaroni and cheese. She said, president number three did not invent macaroni and cheese. And he said, yes, president number three invented macaroni and cheese. And she said, where did you hear this? He says, I learned it on the YouTube video. She's like, Chase, you can't believe everything you see on YouTube. And he just lost his mind. He was just, no, mommy, no. And he starts crying. and melt. I mean, this is a very serious issue, of course, for all of us. He's screaming and crying and rolling around the ground. And she finally got him calmed down. She said, well, we'll ask Daddy when he gets home. So there's pressure on me now. And I was like, well, actually, yeah, I do remember. You know, it was the, the YouTube video, and I had fact-checked it. And I was like, yeah, Thomas Jefferson gets credit for inventing macaroni and cheese. And so she has to apologize to Chase. And it just sobered us up. Because what if that fact was wrong? That thing went right into his mind as truth and wrapped right around his heart and he was not going to go down without a fight. I want you to know that whether you are young chronologically or young spiritually, I talked to young Christians who got bad teaching those first couple weeks into Christianity. And those things have gone so deep in their heart. I cannot tell you how many times I counsel with someone or pray with someone who says, well, I was always taught that dot, dot, dot. And what they say was false. We study the Scripture because the Scripture, we believe, is inerrant. It's completely true. And whether you're reaching out to people who are young chronologically, like we do every Sunday back here in E-Kids and in preschool and in the nursery area, we're trying to teach them the truth of the Scripture. But what we're really doing is we're trying to come alongside you as the mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, parent, guardian, to try and come alongside and help in what you're already supposed to be doing with your kids. And teaching them and talking to them about the truths of Scripture. They are young. They are impressionable. So what this means to parents and grandparents is that the Bible never wavers from its assignment that grown-ups are expected to teach the next generation about God through the truth of the Bible. How can we possibly be effective if we are not studying the Bible ourselves? How will you be able to speak to those answers? You won't be able to Google it all. And Google's not always the best source of information for what the Bible says is true. I was thinking of, of, of a testimony my wife shared me recently about one of the, one of the leaders, one of our uh, moms who works back in the, in, the, in the children's ministry. And she told the story in their children's ministry huddle uh, a couple weeks ago about how she this summer, um, as a result of like when she got into working with the kids, she started increasing her own Bible study because she's like, some of the questions that they have are really challenging and I don't have an immediate answer. And our, our response to everybody who says that to us is, I can't, you know, they say, I can't work with kids. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm kind of intimidated. We just say, you learn right along with them. Just jump right in. They will ask, my son asked me questions. Yesterday, he started asking me about the tomb of Christ and he couldn't understand. Fortunately, I've been to Israel, took pictures. I was like, do you want to sit down and look at some of the pictures of the, the tomb that I went to for an hour and a half? My son sits there with the iPad. We're going through picture by picture. We're talk- now he knows what Golgotha is, and he knows what it looks like, and he knows where the tomb was, and the different theories, whether it was the Holy Sepulchre, you know, whether it was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, whether it was the tomb. He's fascinated by it. I didn't know all the answers. Fortunately, I knew where to go to get them, but I mean, he, he challenges me. And the Bible never wavers. I don't expect the children's ministry to make up for what I'm not doing. But I also need to know that I need to be prepared. And even if I don't know where the answer is in the Bible, I need to have enough of a working knowledge of the Bible to know where to start digging, right? If you're looking for answers about the tomb, I need to know it's in the Gospels towards the end of those books, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I know of those books which one is the shortest and which one has the most detail about that part of the story so I know where to go to get some of those answers. Because if he's thirsty to know about God at four years old, I want to feed him. 
Because you know how much harder it is when he's going to be 24 if he's not interested? That's what I do for a living. I try, I try to convince a lot of people who aren't interested in hearing about the gospel that there is a gospel. It doesn't mean he's going to accept everything. But I study my Bible not just for me. I study so I have truth to feed to people who may not have studied it like I have. Because it's part of my assignment and it's part of your assignment. So that's what it means to parents. You know, I, I, <laughs> I've got time. So, like, back in June, the first week in June, when we were having prayer, you know, we pray as a family um, every night, and it's interesting. Some nights we have these great moments, and other nights it's an absolute train wreck, but we try this every night. We get, you know, me and Mommy and Chase get on the bed, and we, and we pray together. And some night he does the honors, that's what we call it. You know, Chase, will you do the honors tonight? And No, I prayed for dinner, so then it's my turn to pray. And so we, the, we, we finally start, you know, and it used to be, God, you know, thank you for, it was the same thing, thank you for the heavens and the earth every night. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. And it's just because it was simple for him. He's like, I know that prayer. But then we started talking to him about a prayer request. I was like, what request do you have? Daddy, what's a request? And I was like, I was not prepared for you to respond that way. So I'm like, how do I request definition for a four-year-old? It's something that we can ask God to do for us. It's something that's important to us or something that we need him to, to help us with. And he said, oh, okay, well, what happens when God hears our requests? And I'm like, okay, well, I want to tell him that God always answers them. But... Like, well, God answers our requests. Oh, so God says yes all the time? Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, he always, he says yes. Yeah, he answers one of three ways, Chase. He says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet. Well, how do we know? Will he tell us? Well, Chase, it has to do with some certain sense of God speaking to your spirit. He says, what's your spirit? I said, okay, let's back the train up. Can you just come up with a request? These are really hard questions. <laughs> he said, oh, okay. So, um. So, you know, we prayed that night. He said, dear God, he said, um, I want to make a request. I would like a brother and a sister. Amen. And Kendra and I are like, oh, do we tell him, like, that we, we can't have kids? Like, it doesn't, you know, our bodies don't work that way? Or it's like, okay, Chase, good prayer. Good job. So that week, he goes into preschool here, the preschool at Echo. And, um, his teacher came out, and, you know, we always get nervous because we're usually the parents both here and at school that the teacher's like, okay, kids can go home. I need to talk to Chase's dad. Come here. <laughs> he's not the teacher. Please tell him he's not in charge of the class, even though he's right most of the time. Please tell him. So the, they said, you know, we had this really awesome moment. I think, it, I, I, can't, I think it was Kim. I think Kim Sullivan was teaching that. Week. We had this awesome moment with Chase, Chase. We did prayer requests this week, and he said he wanted to have a baby brother and a sister. And I just thought that that would encourage him. And we're like, oh, great. Oh, now he's taking it public. What are we going to do with all this? Third week in June, his teacher comes out. I think it was Gigi that week. I think it was. Um, he, Gigi comes out, and she goes, Kendra, Kendra, Chase told me the good news. Kendra said, what? Chase said, God answered his prayer, and he's going to be a big brother. And Kendra's like, she, so Gigi goes, is there something else you need to tell us? And Kendra's like, I don't know where he's getting this from. We don't have any news to tell you. But Chase was just, and so that week I was asking him, Chase, you want to pray for baby brother and sister? No. Why not? Because God's going to give me one. And we're like, oh, man, what are we going to do here? Two weeks to the day after he walked out of that classroom, it's a Sunday afternoon. It's the week before we're going on vacation. And um, Kendra was like, she goes, I'm so tired. I'm like pregnant tired. And she went, she laid down in the bed. And about 15 minutes later, I was getting chased on. She goes, Phil, can you come in here? I want to show you something. And in my mind, I was like, she's pregnant. And I walk in the room and she's holding the pregnancy test and she's just bawling. And she's like, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, this is awesome. But please call the doctor to be sure. Like, you know, like I don't want to get. 
And we found out she was two weeks pregnant at that point. From the day my four-year-old prophesied, not even knowing what he was doing, but he has it in his little mind that if the Bible says it, and we don't have to analyze it, we don't have to dissect it. If the Bible says you can make a request to God and he will answer yes, no, or not yet, then you make your request, and when you feel like he's answered it, you just move on in faith. He got it. I didn't. And it was that same week that his teacher was like, well, your son is really strong-willed at school. Your son's really strong-willed, but man, he loves Jesus. God's going to use him mightily. I was like, you have no idea. You know, so, I'm like, so now I'm like, Chase, pray over the checkbook. Chase, pray over, the, pray over this. You know, start prophesying. I say all that to say, don't be afraid to have spiritual conversations with young people. Make sure, though, that what you're telling them is the truth. Because they'll grab it and they'll hold on to it. So studying the Bible, the reason I want you to dig into it is because you know somebody in your life, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you may have somebody in your life that's young that you get to talk to, that's young chronologically. But listen, all of us, all of us have influence in the lives of people that are young spiritually. And it parallels. They might have their conclusions already formed, and you might have to help them reform some of those conclusions. How can you begin to get after that if you haven't studied the Bible for yourself? So, enough on that. Number two, studying the Bible produces solid character. We can do these last two a little quicker. Studying the Bible produces solid character. Here's what it says in verse 15. The Holy Scriptures is what he's supposed to study, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. I love this phrase. Studying the Bible prepares us for salvation. My whole role in my son's life is to get him ready for salvation. It's my role. I can't make him be saved. I can't force him. I feel like my responsibility as his dad is to prepare him for the day that he will have enough of a grasp of what it means to, to confess of your sins, to accept, you know, accept, believe in God, accept Jesus as a Savior, and accept salvation. That's my whole role. But the Bible says the way that Timothy got to a point where he was so young chronologically, but yet he was so mature in his character and in his emotions and in his intellect and in the way that he, and in his ethics, Paul says it's because you studied the Bible. He says if you study the Bible, you will be morally and ethically sound. Studying the Bible teaches us moral and ethical laws and principles. And here's the other thing. They don't ever need updating. My phone sends me this alert like every week. The new, uh, you know, new software is ready to install. Would you like to install it now? Remind me later. Remind me later. Four hours later. Would you like, to, would you like us to do it while you're sleeping? No, that's creepy. You know, like, <coughs> all the time. As soon as you get used to it, it needs updating, right? And that's part of what we love about technology. But that awesome new, you know, that new VCR we got when I was eight years old that played video cassettes, you can't even donate them anymore, so much of life needs regular updating. Things that you think are true today. Some of us work in jobs like that in the medical field. I know you have to do ongoing education all the time because some things, advances in medicines and things that they're learning and research, it's constantly changing. Do you know that the Bible, what it teaches, does not need constant updating? If you put that in, it can go in one time and it's going to be rock solid for the rest of your life. Consider the wide range of topics covered in the Bible. Things like marriage, Divorce, homosexuality, adultery, obedience to authority, truth-telling and lying, character development, parenting, the nature of God, budgeting, debt, dealing with difficult people. There's so many different moral and ethical principles in the Bible. And they don't need updating. 
And if you will dig into studying the Bible, what it means and what it means to us, it will produce in you the fruit, the results, is that you'll have solid character. Now, to be sure, there are hundreds of situations that, are in the, that, that, that we deal with today that the Bible doesn't specifically address. There were no TVs, there were no computers, cars, phones, birth control pills, Prozac, genetic engineering, respirators, bullets, bombs in Jesus' day. Okay? The Bible doesn't equip us for every little nuance, but it gives us overarching principles and truth that are rock solid. When you study the Bible and you meditate on it and you think about it, it shapes your character. Uh, a few weeks ago, I preached a, a message on, uh, some of you will probably remember it, on uh, government and voting and politics. And I was studying Romans 13. And part of that chapter was about, you know, Paul says to Christians, it's still your responsibility still is to submit to the laws and the lawmakers. And, you know, I talked about and that, you know, one of the things that God was dealing with about was the different laws that I break that I don't think are a big deal, like going eight miles over the speed limit or this, that, the other thing. And I really fell under a heavy conviction for that. I was like, how can I be a voice of righteousness when I pick and choose which laws I obey? And um, uh, I didn't realize that this would bring it full circle. But one of the days that week, I got hungry for lunch for a salad. And I went down to Giant down here where they have a salad bar, which I'll do that a couple times a week. And I went down there and I started making myself a salad. And I got to the end of the first line. And my, this little OCD tradition that I have is I put four Kalamata, they have to go in the one corner. They can't touch anything. They put these four little Kalamata, Kalamata olives in the corner. And I didn't realize what I, part of that tradition was then when I'd walk around to the other side to put the sesame seeds on there is I'd take one of the Kalamata olives off and I'd eat it. And I probably have done that. I hope I don't get arrested now that I'm, you know, there's police officers here. I probably have done that 10 or 20 times without even thinking about it. I'm telling you that day when I went to pick up that olive, there's like a holy hand that stopped me. And said, that's stealing. You know the next thought out of my mind? But it's just an olive. And the next thought is, is your integrity worth an olive? Put it back neatly with the other four. And I know it seems like a small thing, but the truth is, I was eating food I wasn't paying for. And I was doing this for months. And it was... I wasn't even thinking about it. I know, you're, Pastor, that's such a trivial thing. Yeah, until, you really, until God really points it out to you, then it's a big deal. I was studying the Scripture to prepare it for other people, and God was saying, eh, that's all well and good, but I need to talk to you about what you're studying first. And it really shaped my mind. Now, do I say that because I think that I'm you know, some holier-than-thou person? No, I've just been someone who's been a food thief. You know, full disclosure, I was stealing olives from Giant. And um, I will let you know I have stopped. And um, it all, I mean, it brought to my mind, I was like, the only person during that whole share your faith challenge that I got to invite to church happened at the other side of that salad bar. And I'm like, man, and she works at Giant. I'm like, is she stealing me stealing olives every day? Like, it's just, it's, it's going through my mind. My integrity was not worth an olive. Well, how did I get there? Because I was really digging into a part of the Bible and trying to figure out what it meant. And as I dug in, God showed me areas in my own character that needed to be refined. I've got to tell you, I felt rough about that. I was beating myself up about that. But then there comes a point where you're like, this diet is really helping me out. I feel better. That part of me is clean. I didn't know it needed cleaning up, but now it's cleaned up, and I'm more aware of it. So I encourage you, when you study the Bible, let it talk to you, and let it help refine your character. Finally, number three, and I made a typo in here, so let me correct it for you. I thought I was being all clever, trying to make it name, and then it, it actually made it make no sense. So that's what happens when you try and make it clever. Studying the Bible, here we go, ready? Studying the Bible, uh, Studies us when ch- chasing God's assignments, and it should be, and facing life's inevitable difficulties. I would not suggest chasing difficulties. 
Some of you, I feel like you do this because you thrive on having a crisis. That's the only time you think people will listen to you is if you're in crisis. Just stop that, okay? Should be the Bible steadies us when chasing God's assignments and facing life's inevitable difficulties. Hey, like your water falling off on the platform. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We could stop right there. There are things in the Bible you're like, Pastor, really, you want me to curl up with Leviticus tonight and just read through all that stuff? That's not useful. Well, the Bible says of itself that it's there for a reason. Some of it just requires a lot more digging to figure out what it's there for than others. I will admit that reading Leviticus or even some parts of Numbers where it's just listing tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe and how many there were. As much as I love a good number and a good statistic, there's some of them I'm like, this is, you know, Lord, I've got a leaky basement and I've got a house that you know, needs to be rebuilt. I don't need to read about tribe after tribe after tribe. And then I was like, well, it just appears that God kept good track of his people, so he's probably got good track of my situation. Okay, you win. All right, there's my answer. It was in numbers, right? They're in the middle of it, you know. Like, like, God didn't lose track of a single person in a single tribe. And there's pages and pages and pages. And I'm like, you know, so there's, there's whatever, seven billion people running around, six billion, however many billion there are. He hasn't forgotten about me. He hasn't forgotten about my situation. Because when you get wobbly, you're going to reach out for whatever's closest to you to steady you. When you face life's difficulties... Whatever you have easy, where does your go-to when you get stressed? Where does your go-to when you get confused when you're facing a difficult situation? The truth of the Bible marinating in your mind will steady you in life's difficulties. I looked through, I, I was like, well, a lot of times when I run into a situation, I, I, I say Google, I, I'm guilty. Like I, I looked in my history this morning of the most recent things that I Googled. How to dry out a wet basement, cost to recarpet a room, <laughs> what is Green Lantern's real name? That was from my son. <coughs> um, what is Green Lantern's real, real name? Is designated survival, survivor an actual thing? Those are the last, which, you know, I realize are life's major difficulties, right? You know, um, and sometimes it's, you know, you, you got to look stuff up on the internet. You got to get some information, but I'm not always sure that what I get is accurate. I have tried some solutions there that were not right. Nor, nor is there a blueprint in Leviticus for how to fix a leaky basement, right? There, there, there's, there's, or Green Lantern's name, I hope, is not in the Bible somewhere, right? But what I found was a lot of us have this default response for what we grab on to steady us when life gets difficult. But you can turn in your Bible. You can turn to letters of Paul. And you can read things like in a situation like what I was in. It might not tell me how to fix my basement. It says this, even though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day so that these light and momentary troubles are earning for us a glory which far outweighs them all. So I fix my eyes on the things that are unseen because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now that didn't tell me about my leaky basement. It just said this is just temporary and this will end at some point. But how I handle this is earning for me glory that far outweighs everything. So the Bible studies you when you're facing difficulties. But it also inspires us, and, and, and it says it thoroughly equips us for every good work. We all have an assignment. Calories in, calories out. In Christianity, that means the disciplines and the habits and the, and the expressions of my faith that I'm taking in, my spiritual nutrition, and I live it out through the good works that I do. The Bible says the fuel for a healthy Christian to live out the good work he's called you to do Part of that diet is studying your Bible. It will thoroughly equip you for every good 
work. Every good work. The Bible is your equipment. It's part of your, it's part of your diet. You can always tell there are Christians who take in more than they live out. They know the Bible frontwards and backwards. But they are mean as can be. They're puffed up. The Bible says, beware. When you go to the Bible to amass information, you're just going to get arrogant. But when you go to the Bible for transformation, it will soften your heart. You'll gain wisdom. You'll be wise. You'll be thoroughly equipped and ready to go after every good work. So my conclusion, my challenge to you is this. Will you make a study appointment with God and keep it for the next six weeks? Will you go into the plate of your day? Some of you already do this, so this is going to be easy for you. Some of you are like, this is vegetables that I don't like. And it has not worked well for me. Dig back in. Dig back in. Go to 1 John in the New Testament. You can read the whole thing in 20 or 30 minutes. Read that as much as you can. You might be able to read it every day. You might be able to stay there for the next six weeks. We've told you before, read Proverbs. Read James. Start there. If you do not have a Bible, let us help you with that. After church today, stop by the New Here booth or look for someone with the blue T-shirt. We've got brand new Bibles for you that we will send home with you. And the New Living Translation is our gift to you. But will you make a regular study appointment with God and keep it for the next six weeks? Can I challenge you to really devote yourself to learning? I promise you, it might, for some of us, may seem like hard work and discipline at first. But your cravings will change. Your cravings will change to the point where you need it. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. I had a, um, as they come, and as we get ready to close the service here, I had an awesome experience. Um, I think it was back in July we got home from vacation. Um, Adam Prescott and, and my son and I were, uh, went to a, please don't boo me, we went to a Phillies game. Okay, the three of us went to a Phillies game. And um, it was Star Wars, some type of Star Wars theme night, and my son ended up with a lightsaber somehow and was playing with it. It was really fun because it was dark on the way home. And my son's got this flashing strobe light, in the back seat, all the cars are pulling off to the side while we drive by. It was crazy. I was like, yeah, keep playing with it. Turn it on. This is awesome. No traffic on the way home. And uh, Adam and I were talking, and he had just started working with, uh, with the children's ministry. And Adam's not married, doesn't have any kids. Um, he started working with the kids, and he was just saying how much I was encouraging him. I said, Adam, I just really appreciate that you are willing to work with our kids because now we have more men working with the kids. We had a lot of ladies back there working with the kids. We want the kids to have you know, some, male, some male examples back there too, especially for the small group time. And so he works with the elementary kids. He's like, I was so intimidated at first because I'm just a new Christian. I'm just learning the Bible, just learning to pray, but I'm learning a lot. The questions that they ask are really, really good questions, making me study the Bible more. And he's like, yeah, we were talking about water baptism the other week. And my son pipes up from the back seat. He goes, Dad, I want to be baptized. I said, okay, buddy, when you're old enough to be saved, you can be baptized. And Adam, I go, he's like, well, what do I have to do to be saved? It's like, well, Chase, when you, to be saved, buddy, you have to, you have to um, say that you believe in God. You have, to, you have to confess that you believe in God. You have to say that you believe in his son, Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross. And you have to ask him to forgive you for your sins and agree that he's going to be your leader and you're going to follow him. And when you're ready to do all those things, we can pray together and talk to Jesus. And then after that, you can be baptized. He said, okay, I'll do it right now. He folds his hands and out loud, and Adam and I, like I should have stepped in and do something parental, but I was just shocked by the pace of which this was moving. And Adam and I are just like, what's going on? He goes, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in God. I believe you died on the cross. Forgive me for my sins. You can be my leader. Amen. Can I be baptized now? <laughs> and Adam goes, his exact words, dude, did that just happen? I'm like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was like, buddy, we'll talk more about this when we get home. I was like, but that's awesome, buddy. And, you know, and I don't want to make light of what he did. 
right? And Ad, I just remember Adam said, he's like, dude, that's the kind of dad I want to be. And it kind of just, because I, I, I don't think I'm a, being a dad has been the hardest and the most wonderful thing I've ever tried to do in my life. And in that moment, I'm like, at least following Jesus, he looks at my life, and he's a pastor's kid. He could see the worst side of being a Christian. He could see the worst side of church. He could see the worst side of ministry. I did as a pastor's kid. And it drove me away from God. But this little guy, because his mom and his dad do the best that we can to study, but we're not perfect. I know that kind of makes it sound like I'm the example. Please hear me. I don't think that I'm, the, that I'm, I'm just doing my best. But that moment, for me, I was ready for it. Wasn't ready for it right then and there while we're driving home and it's dark. And I really think he was just using it because he wants to go in the pool and go underwater. You know, I don't know how deep he gets it. But I'm fine with him waiting in that direction. That's completely fine. You know, he, he heard it. Would you be prepared if God put someone in your life who asked you, what do I need to do to be saved? What does the Bible say about Jesus to me? Would you be prepared for that moment? Bible study gets us ready for those God encounters and for those God moments. It recalibrates our hearts. So can I encourage you, please, for this next six weeks, would you make a study appointment with God and would you keep it as we go after this together? We're going after it much deeper in our small groups, much, much, much deeper in our small groups and growth groups that start this week, start today, as a matter of fact. But this is something we can all do together. Let's really dig into this together. Let's pray this morning. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I want to give an opportunity for anyone here this morning who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus, kind of like what my son did on the way home from the Phillies game. I want to give you an opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus. Or if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, but you are drifting, you're drifting away from God, can I just say, can, you, can I give you an invitation? Stop drifting and start growing today. Stop drifting this morning. Renew those vows today. Not because you have to, but because it's healthy for you. I just want to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to make your relationship right with God today, or if you want to stop drifting and you want to turn back to God and get growing again, here's a simple prayer you can pray. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross in my place. You have paid the price. You've paid the penalty for all my sins. Thank you for that. I receive your forgiveness. I confess that I've sinned. I invite you to be the leader of my life and to come and take up residence inside of me. And now it's going to be my great joy to follow you as you transform me day by day by day. I want to start dieting like a disciple. So lead me in my next steps. In your name I pray. Amen.